0: Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment, think healthcare provision during a pandemic, think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, I speak to Olivia Gamblin. Olivia is founder and CEO of Ethical Intelligence, a company which supports organisations with developing ethical technology. As tech's influence on our lives continues to grow, this topic is becoming all the more relevant. In the podcast, Olivia shares her company's mission to deliver ethics as a service, she talks about her background in philosophy, and we discuss the route to ethical AI. But first, I ask Olivia to define ethical intelligence.
1: Intelligence literally, quite literally, means our ability to reason ethically, uh, go through our moral understanding, our, our moral reasoning, making those ethical decisions at the end of the day. So, you know, we've got artificial intelligence, which is more or less logical intelligence done by by computers, um, and then we have things like emotional intelligence, so our understanding of our emotions and how those interact. Ethical intelligence is quite literally just our intelligence, our knowledge, our understanding of ethics and how we come to those decisions
0: fantastic now olivia we we know that we're amidst a, a huge kind of transformational moment in 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 history with technology both in a, you know for businesses and also in the context of things like health care within the pandemic the, the role of technology is, is playing an ever bigger part in our lives obviously how important when we come to implement these tools is ethics do you think do you think that the the architects of this change, the the people who are using this technology, who are building this technology, do you think ethics is is at the center of their thinking or do you think we've still got some some more work to do?
1: Still definitely some work to do. There is uh, some pretty big culture shifts that are going to need to happen in our tech industry and how we approach technology. I obviously am a bit biased though, and I would say that ethics is absolutely essential to success in the long run. I've seen multiple types of technology built without it. and. You know, for better or for worse, it never quite follows through. And never, it always falls flat. I, we, as people, ethics is something so close to who we are as people and, and what it means to be human. And so it's essential when we're building technology to be used by humans, to actually build it with ethics embedded at the, at the center.
0: Tell us Olivia then about your company, Ethical Intelligence and the idea behind ethics as a service.
1: Yeah, so this is ethical intelligence as in my company uh rather than just ethical intelligence in general yeah but i i joke there ethical intelligence we are an ethics as a service provider as you're as you're showing we we focus on using ethics as a tool a decision making tool especially in terms of innovation Uh, we do use it for for a little bit of risk management and mitigation but quite often we're working with clients to develop business strategies um, and innovation strategies surrounding their technology but built again with ethics embedded throughout the core of it. Um, so EI, we've been around, well, ethical intelligence, EI for short, we've been around for three years now. We started our life as a, a small, small little startup working with large enterprise, figuring out how to build governance frameworks and um, understanding really what was the start of some of the more applicable side of, of responsible AI and responsible tech and since since then we've we've grown and our clients have shrunk not in terms of quantity but in terms of their their actual size we now work quite closely with small ventures um we'll still work with with larger corporations but really the the meat of what we do is focused on small ventures and the ecosystem that surrounds them so looking at how do we bring ethics to startups and investors and accelerators and that that ecosystem of you know, when the technology's just beginning, how do we how do we build an ethics from the start? You, you've got something called software lock-in where um, the more the more you're using a software and the further down the line you get, the harder it is to change that software and the harder it is to, to change um, both of the the features of it or just change it completely. Uh, you have something called moral lock-in. The further along the line you get, the harder it is to go back and change something in terms of an ethical decision. So if we get there from day one, then, what does that look like? What what capabilities, what opportunities can we can we build into our technology if we're bringing ethics from the very start? And that's really where we started to um, focus and and find our our true um, our true flow, if you want to call it. Just in these these past two years,
0: it's a really interesting um, idea, Olivia. Maybe you could give the listeners a bit of insight into into how you, how you work with your customers. How do you embed what you're doing? With what they're doing around their technology.
1: So we're very people based. We have an expert network of 60 plus individuals. They're worldwide. We're just missing one in we're we're missing Australia, we're missing Antarctica. Otherwise we've got an expert in every continent. Uh one day we'll get one in Antarctica, just so I can say all seven, see what people see how people react. Um, but these these experts come from a wide variety of backgrounds. So we have programmers, we have policymakers, we have ethicists and what we do is we, we handcraft teams, outsourced ethics teams for companies that allows them to utilize this expertise in the context and in the time and place that they need it. Um, alongside this, as we've been building and growing and understanding really what it means to create responsible technology, we create tools along the way. So that includes methodologies, that includes decision making frameworks and workflows and um, training especially ethics training and education these are all tools that are are essential to a company being able to uh, build responsible technology and and be able to embed ethics so we have the very human approach of having the expert having the expertise having that hands-on care and attention to te- to a company's technology and the company itself but that also as we build out and work with more and more clients we start to see patterns we're able to create tools to to make the process efficient and get our experts and their expertise working on the challenging issues that really require a human to be able to tackle them
0: that's really interesting Olivia and it's almost refreshing to hear of a solution that has people at its center rather than you just delivering mm-hmm. a platform or a product to, to a company um a bit more about those people actually are, are these people are these technologists people with a background in technology or you know what kind of people are you recruiting into these roles to perform this very kind of almost niche very specific kind of need
1: yeah so i would say you know we've got a lot of people that have some type of focus in responsible tech uh, i will say that 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 tends to be the unifying factor so we'll have people that come from a strictly ethics background or a strictly legal background or strictly programming background, but they all have this passion for responsible tech. They've done their research. They've done um, either some type of experience or experience, industry industry experience or, or academic experience in responsible tech. But I would say that's not really something that we interview them for. We're not asking like, tell me about a time that you built a responsible system or tell me about a time that that you worked on the ethics of a project. Instead, we're looking for the type of people that they are um, and how they go about working with each other and how they problem solve. So we're asking them more of looking for, do you have that passion for working in responsible tech? Do you have the, uh, ability to collaborate with with someone that comes from a completely different life experience completely different background experience just completely different experience than you do you have the ability to sit and listen to um, a client talk about what is very challenging often for the client to talk about that they can be very nervous do you have the ability to sit without judgment and listen to what they're saying and then help them um and then really at the end of the day we've got our our main our, our core company values are are empathy, trust, and bravery. And so being able to to trust each other and trust, trust your skills and trust the people you're working with, having the empathy, of being able to sit and listen without judgment. But really the, the big one for us is bravery of, are you brave enough to walk into that room and try and do better with our technology? Are you brave enough to take on this challenge? Um, and that's really something that runs as a central thread between our network and the clients that we work with.
0: I'm imagining from what you're saying there, Olivia, a lot of the work you do is, you know, it's quite delicate, sensitive subjects, everything like that. What is it? Why do you think you've found this niche? And why do you think companies need you? Why, what, what are the challenges organizations have in this area that means they have to to look to companies like yours to help them?
1: If we have one of our clients, um, his name's Alfred, and he, he's the co-founder of Anyone Technologies. Uh, he jokes that ethics is like therapy. You can't give it to yourself and i know that 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 a that that's a lighthearted joke about what he experiences when we when we work with him but there there is a lot of truth in that factor of when you are working on ethics it is very easy in the day-to-day to be caught up in i you know i've got to meet this deadline i've got to meet these metrics i've got to pass along those decisions you're you're caught in the day-to-day and so it becomes very difficult to actually pause and reflect on what kind of ethical decisions you're making, what kind of bigger picture decisions need to be made um, in terms of the direction of the technology, can be very heavy if you you are constantly having to do it on your own. So by having an external ethics provider, by working with someone that is trained in both ethical decision making, so the frameworks that we use when it comes to to dissecting ethical decisions, but also train in being able to move these abstract values into concrete decisions and details. Uh, it's working with someone that w- will really speed up the process half the time because you're not stuck there trying to work through what feels like a jungle. Um, into an ethicist, has a very clear path just because of of experience and, and skill set. Um, but then, as well, it's it's. We had another client describe as kind of like as a spell check meaning they they would put together these decisions and these policies and they go, okay, we put all this time and thought, but did we do it right? Is this okay? Is this good? And then they'd run it through us and we'd go, okay, adjust here, adjust there, all good, ready to go. And it was always this sense of relief of we've had an external, we, we know that, that, that uh, ethical intelligence in this case and these ethicists are not just saying this because, you know, they're, they're on our payroll and they're on our deadline. They're, they, I mean, it doesn't affect us whatsoever if we say, nope, that's not right, we gotta fix it, um, versus yes, that's great, go ahead. It, it does affect us to, to some extent, but we have that, that neutral ability. We have that ability to stand outside and go, no, try that again, or yes, that's all good. Because um, we stand to benefit by them having a better policy in that way. Um, so by having an external, having an external ethics provider, you, you gain a lot more than just trying to do this internally. There are internal factors that need to work with you, but having the external one, it's almost, you come, it comes with that sense of relief. It comes with, okay, we're not just saying yes to ourselves and and our own echo chamber and echo bubble. This is actually true. We are making a good decision here. And we have the ability to offload a lot of mental computation that needs to happen when it comes to going through these decisions. We can offload that, have someone trained in being able to do this and come back to us and help guide us through the decision. So eh, long story short, it's important to have that external factor when it comes to working and embedding ethics.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of the Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this pod. And if you want more, why not head over to techforgood.net for some amazing and thought-provoking stories. You can read about one company's mission to use digital technologies in the fight against HIV, or learn how social media can help refugees take control of their narratives. For those insights and more, read and subscribe at techforgood.net. Great stuff olivia now i'm keen to learn a bit more about you and and your own background tell the listener a bit about how you started maybe a bit of your academic background and and your career journey
1: so i come from a philosophy background i am a native to the silicon valley so born and raised just right outside san francisco so i saw tech at its best and i saw tech at its worst we're definitely used as guinea pigs out there um i used to laugh because i i went to my undergrad in Texas. And I would see technology developed in California. And then I'd go for my semester to study out out in Baylor University. And and I would see the technology out there a year, two years later, and everyone's like, this is so cool. And I'm sitting there going, what do you mean? This is so cool. This is old technology. Um, And that was just the technology that had come that had managed to break out of the bubble that is the Silicon Valley. Um, which, it, it's all to say, it was a very interesting place to grow up in. And I think instilled in me this, this fascination with technology. Um, it also instilled the drive to one day found my own company. Uh, you know, you have people that say, I'm going to grow up to be a doctor. I'm going to grow up to be a lawyer. I'm going to grow up to be a politician. Those are respectable. Um, those are respected professions. In the San Francisco area, it's I'm going to grow, grow up to be a tech founder, and that's a very respected profession. Um, and so that was the profession that I had always imagined. You know, one day eventually I'll go in that direction. Um, as I mentioned, I ended up in Texas studying ethics and morality. I like to joke out of rebellion for growing up in California in in um, surrounded by tech, uh, so something very very different. Um, but from there, actually graduated with um, a major in philosophy, and I, I minored in entrepreneurship in Italian, so a bit of a funky degree mix, but I, I remember graduating going, I love philosophy, I think it's fascinating, but I don't know what to do with it yet. One day I'll return and make this practical, but I need to figure out how to make philosophy practical before I go back to it. Um, so from there, I went off and worked for a while, uh, actually freelance as a digital strategist. So I was Doing everything from marketing strategies to communication strategies to uh digital awareness and innovation um and always with this this undertone of working with startups or smaller ventures just to understand what what they were dealing with um quite often with technology i was picking up different clients and working with them um in all sorts of places so i i was over i'm still overseas now um but was overseas for for quite a while bouncing around Uh, And through one of those experiences ended up in Brussels, where I was researching, I was a researcher on GDPR and data privacy. I went to a conference um, and I remember this woman up on the stage going, the next big conversation in in data and technology will be data ethics. And that was the moment of, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. That is my fascination of technology and my love of philosophy and ethics come together in one thing. I didn't realize these connected. And from then, I, I, I've been working in in tech ethics, I, it, it was the cheesy light bulb moment and the this is what I need to do um, combined. But I, I went from there and did a master's in AI, AI ethics at the University of Edinburgh, um, went on to found the company and have been live and active in this space ever since.
0: Brilliant. A bit more on on the foundation of the company, then, if if you wouldn't mind, Olivia. Like, was it was it something that kind of sprung out of your of your time at the university? Like, talk a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So when I went to the university, I went and going. I'm going to be an AI ethicist. You know, I've got I've got the start already. I understand AI. I've grown up around it. I I have a working theoretical knowledge. Um, I was constantly learning more. I was constantly talking to uh, my friends in the the informatics department having them teach me, okay, what is, what does reinforcement learning mean? Um, How do you go about uh, training your data, your models on your data sets? What does this look like? So I was picking up that, that information um, and I'd come from the ethics background. So, so I was going in saying I'm going to be an AI ethicist. Um, And so through that process, I had co-founded a a society called the beneficial AI society. Um, So it was a fun little social club and I had founded it with a friend who's doing her master's in AI. And so we brought together naturally a bunch of programmers and philosophers uh, at a pub once a week and we're like, drink and talk about AI and let's see what happens. Uh, it was really fun. But through that process, I, of course, was looking for my next career step. And so I was talking, networking around, going, I'm, I'm an ethicist. Um, this is what I want to do. What kind of opportunities exist? And through that, I discovered that there wasn't necessarily a career class, career but there was a clear need for actual uh, ethics advisory, um, mainly because I had people asking if the if the society did uh, any type of consulting, which, you know, drunk students in the pub, definitely not, but kind of clued me in of, oh, there's something there. Um, so I played around with the idea, and it was really just a matter of it wasn't it wasn't necessarily I sat down and went, do I want to start this company? What is it going to look like? It was more of this is the right time, right place, right idea. OK, we're starting. There was never a question whether or not I would start it um, at that at that point in time. And so ethical intelligence grew out of that inspiration. Um, and yeah, we, we started we we stealth incorporated. Uh, while I was finishing my master's thesis and we were running with our first three clients. And I remember it was this insane month of turn in the first three deliverables for our first three clients, uh, turn in my master's thesis, and then host the launch party of the company um, all within a span of like three weeks. So I, I don't know how I, looking back, I don't know how I survived that, but that that is really where the inception of ethical intelligence came from.
0: And I'm sure the launch party took more planning than any of that, right?
1: <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I didn't really, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, it's a, it, you know, it's a party. We'll we'll find a venue and it'll be fine. No, there is so much planning that goes in that has to go into a launch. And I I, I, <laughs> I, like to walk around thinking, oh, I had no idea what I was doing back then. I had no idea what I was getting myself into.
0: Well, you know, full credit to you and your team, Olivia, for the journey you've been on on since then. Now, I want to get stuck in on a kind of final point, really, on on. AI, ethical AI, you're you're clearly a great believer in artificial intelligence and ethical, artificial intelligence. Um, I think it's probably fair to say there's still a bit of fear attached to the term artificial intelligence, you know, in a more, in a more general sense. Where do you think we're at currently with deployments of AI? Like, is, is there more unethical AI in, in the world at the moment than ethical? Like what's your assessment of that?
1: Hmm. I don't think I've ever had anyone phrase it that way to me before. I don't know if necessarily unethical AI, but more AI that is operating outside of its limitations. And what I mean by that is where we start to see the unethical or the the, the harmful consequences of AI is when it's operating outside of what it was originally meant to do or what it's capable of. Um, or what it was, yeah, again, designed or built or, 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 or what went beneath it. Um, so I'd say that that's more the case rather than there were unethical decisions and people set out to harm people. That's usually not it. It's usually, you know, someone took a model that was designed to as a recommendation system for, um, I don't know, local grocery stores. And they took it and they lifted it and they they changed it to local pharmacies. And in that transaction, that model was not designed for that that purpose, that use. And so you're seeing harmful consequences come out of that because it was not designed with that with that in use. Um, there's also a lot of more existential questions uh, about data and its value and, and where it's being owned and, and how people are interacting with technology. But you know, I'd say, yeah, I would really say it's just AI operating out, outside of its outside of its limitations.
0: What what's the answer then to 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 making sure that it's operated within those limitations at, at scale? Because obviously we're going to see a scaling of this technology over the coming years. Like how, how do you how do we ensure the ethical use of AI going forward?
1: Yeah, well that's that's actually really where the ethics come in. Um one of the first things that we look for when we're working with small ventures is something called founder's bias. And this is when a founder or you know, a founding team or or it could even be a product manager. Um, whoever's building that technology believes that the technology can do no wrong. There's no potential harm beside it. Um, this technology can always be misused. It's having the ability to recognize that and say, "Okay, this this can be misused. How do we ensure that that's not misused? And how do we ensure that that it's actually used to its its best ability, to the fullest capability?" Um, yeah, that that's that's really you know what we're looking for in terms of bridging that gap and building yeah that that's when when the ethics really comes into play when building building ai
0: and last last question for you olivia like we've spoken a lot about your company and how you've grown and how you as an individual you know came came to be in the position you're in what 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 does the future look like for you the company I'm sure, you know you you've you've made it clear you're you're an entrepreneur at heart so entrepreneurs are always looking for you know i guess the next thing the next development what what what's the future looking like for you
1: well, I'm going to be working on ethical intelligence for quite a while. That's for sure. But for me, it's 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 almost like my my baby. It is my baby. Um, but for me, it's just such a cool place that I get to start to apply my research, understand how business with innovation works, how business operates, how technology changes that entire perspective throughout that throughout that process, and how introducing ethics at key points in time can change the whole game. And so for me, that's really where my fascination is. Um, and, I, and I'll and i say this over, over and over again, we're working with small venture. Um, a lot of that has to do with my personal passion for small venture and going, you know what, this belongs here, we need it here. How can we get it there? Um, it's easier for large enterprise and corporations to incorporate ethics because they have the resources um, and they do have the time. So, and a lot of our, our policies and our principles and the resources being built are built for with large corporation in mind. Small enterprises really being glanced over there. And so I think, not even I think, I know for me that is really a, a challenge that I want to tackle. Um, and that's the big challenge that I'm focused on with the company and, my, and, and just my personal interests. That's probably gonna take me a few years. <laughs> um, and then from there, you know, there's so much that we can do with ethical intelligence as we grow and as we gain our own resources. I want to start to sponsor research that that we know is needed but has been glanced over. From I want to um, get further, have us further involved in the investment circles that and accelerator circles that exist. And how do we sponsor strong develop development of of good good AI at the end of the day? Um, and so there's there's just so much opportunity and and I don't know it's i'll probably reach a point in time where i go okay i've done everything that that i needed to do with ethical intelligence we've we've built it up we're, we're a household name if you want to say in terms of ethics um and at that point i'll go okay it's time time to move on um i'll probably take a very long vacation and then i who knows I, at that point maybe i'll go on to teach or i'll, I'll be be an author or. I'll have another crazy idea that I spend the next 10 to 20 years of my life working at. We'll see.
0: That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Stitcher.